Hello and welcome to In The Business. My name is Dustin Fuller and the last 15 years, I have worked in many facets of the industry, including broadcast. I've also worked as a public address announcer and I've gotten the opportunity to do so many cool things that there are some things you just think, oh my land. And today on the edition of In The Business, I'm going to introduce you to the guy who introduced the business to me 15 years ago, Dan Ravalette. He's known as a broadcaster of sports locally on television, also has done some radio games over the year. He's worked in the news industry and so many cool things that Dan has done. I will be talking with him, plus I will preview next week's edition of In The Business. This is In The Business. I'm Dustin Fuller, your host. Are you looking to create a podcast but don't know where to start? Hi, I'm Dustin Fuller. I'm the owner and operator of Illin Media and Entertainment, and this is something we offer our clients. We offer the opportunity to host a podcast for you by producing it, editing it, making it sound wonderful, and we send it out into the world for you through syndication to places like Spotify, iHeartRadio, Amazon Podcast, Apple, Google, and so many more. Want to reach the masses through podcasting? My team here at Illin Media and Entertainment can help you do that. It's very simple. Shoot me an email, dustin at dustinfuller.com, or you can give me a call at 812-887-0613, and we will be happy to work on getting your podcast out to the world. Dustin at DustinFuller.com or 812-887-0613. Welcome back to In the Business. I am your host, Dustin Fuller, joined by Dan Ravelet. Dan has been in the business for many, many years. He has been the television broadcaster of many Vincent Lincoln athletic events over the years. And recently, he's been doing radio broadcasts for the Vincent University Lady Trailblazers basketball on Blazer 91.1 WVUB. Dan, it's a pleasure and a privilege to have you aboard. Oh, thanks, Dusty. It's always great to be with you. Uh, it doesn't seem like it's been 15 years ago in some ways, but I know uh, we started back then and we had a lot of water under the bridge since then, but I really appreciate you asking me to be on your program and uh, I really enjoyed work with you over the years. Well, here's the weird part. I was going through that through my calendar of dates and not only was that my first time in the business, some 15-year-old kid named Daniel Ashby was with us part of the time as well and now Daniel's moved on to be the voice of the Alices. How weird is that? And he- yeah, he does a great job too. I mean, and I'm so proud of both of you. You know, I, I'm proud that I had a chance to to work with you guys and maybe have a, some little influence in your careers that's really taken off in broadcasting. Both of you are are doing a great job, and I'm very proud of both of you. Well, I guess first off, I guess tell me how you got your start into the business. Well, really, at a very early age, I knew I wanted to be in broadcasting, even in high school. I knew I wanted to be a broadcaster. And right after high school, I went to VU, and I didn't major in broadcasting then, but I majored in journalism, which is actually another form of you know broadcasting or, or journalism. But then after that, 
after a couple of years there, I went to the Air Force. And when I went in the Air Force, they, when you go in, they give you uh, some uh, choices of different kind of categories, business categories, that you want to be in when you join the Air Force. And then I knew I wanted to be broadcasting. But they didn't have an exact uh, broadcasting category. They had one that said uh, communications. And I thought, well, maybe that's close to broadcasting. You know, of course, broadcasting is communications. So I signed up for that. And when I signed up, they put me in a Morse code category. <laughs> so it was broadcasting, but it wasn't like kind of broadcasting that I wanted. So, so, but I, I did enjoy my Air Force career. I was in the Air Force for four years. And while in the Air Force, I spent three years in Germany. And there, almost every day, I listened to the, uh, what they call it, AFN, Armed Forces Network. And that was in Germany, like I said, three years. And then when I came out of the Air Force, back home, I came back to VU. Of course, after I was honorably discharged from the Air Force. And then I majored in broadcasting at VU. And that's how I actually got started. Well, and you talk about your time in Germany. I know AFN is pretty big over in Germany. I actually had a friend who was married to a military man over in Germany that was stationed in Germany, and she had the opportunity to work on the morning show at AFN at the Bavaria area, which is like the Groff Post, whatever, I, I believe it's Groff. Which which location in Germany were you located exactly? Well, actually, two. Uh, first of all, for a year and a half, I was right in the middle of Germany in a place called Darmstadt. And then the last two and a half years, or year and a half, uh, I spent in a place called Augsburg, and that is down south in the Bavarian area. So I, I don't know how long, well, she probably wasn't there when I was there, because I left there in 1970. So, but uh, that's down in the Bavarian area, and I loved those AFN broadcasters. They were so professional. They kept us very well informed of things happening back here in the States, and I really enjoyed listening to them. And that even enhanced my love for broadcasting more and gave me more of a desire to get into broadcasting once I got back in civilian life. Well, I mentioned you've had the privilege of calling games on Wabash Cablevision through the years, going through Charter, Avenue Broadband, even over to Synergy Metronet at one point now that you're doing the Lady Blazer games on Blazer 91.1. What are some other highlights of your broadcast career through the years? Well, when I actually first started in radio, it was basically radio sales. But at that time, you know, I needed to have money, to live on. So I I combined radio sales with sports broadcasting and newscasting. So I did have the best of both worlds really at that time. I uh, got to uh, have some sales information or sales experience, made a good living that way. Thank the good Lord for that. And I also got the chance to broadcast news and sports. So actually, I had the best of both worlds. We actually started my first radio job was sales, like I said, and started at WAOV. And the older uh, people here will recognize, remember, when WAOV was at the top, the sixth floor of the old National Bank building, the very top floor old National Bank. And I worked there for about a year and a half with a gentleman named Austin Edmondson. He was an icon in radio news back at that time. I had the pleasure of working with him. But then back around, I think, 1978 or 79, 
the entire radio station moved out to uh, the executive end. And Bob Green bought the radio stations. And when we moved out the executive end, this is a kind of a funny story, I think. Um, the Most of the equipment, radio equipment, was too big to get through the front doors of the executive end or even, you know, of course, up the elevator because the, that studio was located on the very top of executive end. So what they did was they had a farm wagon, a flatbed farm wagon, and they positioned it on the, uh, I guess you'd call it the west side, uh, 2nd Street side of Executive Inn. And they had a great big crane out there. And they loaded that farm wagon full of equipment, hooked the crane to it, raised it up six floors or more to the very top outside of the Executive Inn, swung it over, and then set it down on the roof of Executive Inn. And we took the equipment in that way. And one time I actually got to ride up on that farm wagon with the equipment. And I'll never forget that ride. It was fun. I bet the insurance company probably did not want to hear about that farm ride, did they? I didn't tell them about it. No, no, <laughs> I don't think. Well, they may know about it now. <laughs> A little bit of what they don't know, don't kill them. That's right. That's right. Don't want to do that. I was going to say, you talk about your move from downtown at the old National Bank building to the location at the Executive Inn back when the stations were there. Stations were on that top floor of the Executive Inn for many years after that. Right. Actually, it was on top of the top floor. You know, the top floor where the uh, hotel rooms were. Our stations were on top of that. The next, they, they actually built a special edition for the radio stations. Wow. And I had the pleasure of working there for many, many years. I really had, really enjoyed that. And there I, I was able to do more sports. I was still in, in sales, but I was able to do more sports broadcasting and newscasting then, too. And I've really been blessed with uh, the ability and, and the uh, ability and opportunity to broadcast uh, football, baseball, basketball for Lincoln and North Knox. When I first started out, and I went to WFML radio at the Vincennes University-owned station at that time. I broadcast, I, I began to broadcast for North Knox football because I'm a North Knox high school graduate. I had a very uh, deep desire to broadcast football for North Knox. So I started there doing football for them. And like you mentioned earlier, I'm now doing the uh, VU women's basketball broadcast. This will be my seventh consecutive year and our first game is November 8th. Just want to get that plug in. Just happens to be election night, too. That's right. I never. Well, is it November 8th? Yeah, that's right. It is. It is. You're right. But I'll vote first, then go broadcast. <laughs> As well, <laughs> I actually, I don't even know. I've not looked at my calendar to see where I'm at November the 8th yet, but I will definitely tell you that there's probably something on my calendar, to say the least. Uh, over all the years... What has been your favorite part of the broadcast industry? Meeting other broadcasters. It's like a big club. You know, people from Jasper uh, and from Princeton, the icons like the Langfords and the people in Jasper and uh, all around the area. Those people, like I said, it's like a club, a broadcasting club. And everybody is so friendly to everybody and so helpful. Everybody, you know, for example, if we forget some, maybe some type of equipment or a stat sheet, or if we need a uh, roster from some other 
companies or some of the radio stations. They are more than happy to give those to us, and we share uh, like a family. It's like a big family. I really enjoy. That's probably been my favorite part of broadcasting. And another another favorite part too was the fact that my son and I, Jordan and I, were able to broadcast ball games together, and especially long road trips. That was such good quality time. Sometimes we'd be an hour and a half, maybe two hours on the road, you know, to a game to broadcast a game, and that gave us time to really talk to each other, prepare for the game, but more more importantly, to talk about family things. And we really had a chance to more learn more about each other, and I think that helped us become closer. One of my favorite parts of road trips is when we get the whole crew together. If we're all going down in the same vehicle, we all swap stories. We have we talk about things going on, but it's it's a big family atmosphere. I was going to say by the end of the day, you know everything about your crew by the time you're done driving down and heading back. And that, you're right. You're right. I totally agree. That's one of the most fun parts of this business. And, and speaking of funny stories, um, we were coming back from uh, Washington one night after broadcasting for a, a game for uh, Wabash Cablevision on Highway 50. Coming back that night, we were kind of in a hurry to get home. And I'll admit, we were kind of speeding. I'm not going to say who the driver was, but I was in the back seat. <laughs> I, I didn't control the, the speed. But anyway, we got pulled over by an Indiana State Trooper. Fortunately, he he was a member of my family. So when he saw me in the back seat, he just kind of looked at me, winked, and told the driver, he said, you can be on your way, but slow down. So that's one of my funny stories. And one more, I think, one time it was down in Princeton, I believe, maybe even south of Princeton. We actually had the broadcast on top. It was actually a farm wagon placed on top of telephone poles. Four telephone poles had been cut off, and a farm wagon had been somehow, hopefully, secured on top of that. And we actually broadcast from up there. And then one time down at Floyd Knobs, we actually rode up a, uh, my son and I rode up on a crane to the top of a similar type of broadcasting station. And when the wind blew, it was terribly cold that night. And when the wind blew, well, you could feel the, uh, broadcast station sway back and forth. But thankfully, we won the game, we got thawed out, and nobody got hurt. So we had a lot of fun. It's half of the battle, not getting hurt. And there are so many stories that just 15 years that I've had that I think one of them was, and this is one that I was definitely a green thumb at this point, I was at Terre Haute South. This would have been with you. This would have been uh, the first game I worked with you, I believe. You and yeah. Daniel both. I remember this was at Terre Haute South. There were penalty flags galore that game. I remember that, yeah. And yeah. I think I made the comment of, I'll take penalty flags for 1000 <laughs> You're right. You did. And I and think I think on the way home I got told, eh, this is not the comedy club. Well, but you you, you made it funny. You you had added a little uh, hilarity to it, and we we appreciated that. That was fun. Yeah, I really appreciate you, Dusty. Back when we first started, we had those the real small cameras. Oh, if you remember? Yes, I do I don't remember what, that camera. Yeah, yeah, and and actually, I want to thank uh, uh, the uh, Vincent Lincoln, athletic director. He actually allowed 
me and my son Jordan to go to Terre Haute and buy the camera, buy the tripod, buy the uh, board, you know, the switchboard. Yes. And put them all together for those broadcasts for Lincoln. I'll never forget it. He was very nice about it. As a matter of fact, my son and I, we went up there one, uh, I guess it was Wednesday or Thursday. That was when the Colts, Baltimore, or Indianapolis Colts, were having their preseason practices at Indianapolis at Rose Holman. So we got to go up there, <clears throat> excuse me, and uh, see them practice and get the equipment for our next broadcast. So that was a, a very good experience. Well, I remember getting the slip because I was in high school at the time. I got a slip to go down to Mr. Hill's office. Dave Hill was the athletic director at the time that right. we are referencing. And tells me, sit down. And I'm like, okay, what did I do to get in trouble this week? Again. And, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> and basically the conversation was instead of trying to, because at the previous year I was the video manager for the football team and for basketball. And basically the conversation was we're looking for someone to run a camera on Friday nights for Dan Ravalette. Uh, I think there was a mention of no pay involved, which at that age, it's not all about pay. When you're trying to break in into the industry, it's get your foot in the door, get some experience. And my first right. thought was sign me up because That's I really wanted to go for broadcasting. And it's not about how pretty it is, how well you get paid. At age 17, it's about the opportunities. Yes, and the experience, man. That is invaluable. You really, I mean, you can go, and I did go to VU, you know, for broadcasting, and I learned a lot there. But the actual experience you get in the field, doing broadcast, meeting people, setting up the equipment, that is almost, like I said, invaluable. You can't really do all that at a college. But the college is a great place to start. I'm thankful I did. But I learned so much more. I know you did, too. Once you got out in the field, was actually able to do it yourself, right? It's a whole lot different when you're on your own compared to when you're working with a crew because you get, like, not that you don't work with a crew, but you get to learn firsthand from other professionals in the field when you're not the guy organizing everything. And it's a whole different ball game when you're organizing everything because I've, I've worked on both sides at this point in my career. And yeah. You know, sometimes you're the one that's scrambling, finding crew members, and sometimes you're the crew member that's, hey, I'm there. Let's do this. That's right. And, you know, one of the most anxious times when I went out to broadcast was the fact that when you when you plug in the equipment, you want to see that red light come on. You want to make sure you have it wants to power. Got to work. <laughs> that's right. That's the main thing. Then you can set everything else up. But you want to make sure you have, a, well, back when I started, we had telephone lines. Yes. So you want to make sure that the telephone line worked, the person back at the station on the board was there to you know, tell us uh, when we go on the air, and we talked to them about when to play commercials, things like that. So uh, that was a very important to me to make sure we had power and we're set to go. Yeah, power back in the day was very important. It's still important now, but for radio, it's not what it used to be. There's a lot of things that have gone battery-operated, and kind of in in video streaming, there's things that have gone battery-operated. It's kind of weird how we've gotten to where there are some situations we don't even have to use electric anymore. 
You're right. And another thing, too, Dusty, I think uh, the fact that broadcasts can be done so remotely anymore. You know, you can be at, like you, you know, you can be at home and broadcast on radio or even TV. Some of the major TV networks do that. They stay in the studio, they have a cameraman at the field, and then they actually do the play-by-play from their home or from their office. I will tell you, I have worked some of those type of broadcasts because I... Some of my experience is in a truck for ESPN. And there right. are times that the talent is on site. There's times that the talent is at home. And it really ramped up even more with COVID. Like when the Major League Baseball season was going on in 2020, none of the broadcasters traveled. Everyone was at a remote location calling the game, getting the audio from the field and everything, the video pictures, whatnot, supplied back to them. So, like the Cardinals, I noticed this on Twitter a few years ago. They were calling their games at a PBS studio in St. Louis. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people don't, don't know that. I didn't know that for a long time. Well, and, and it's a way for maybe the PBS studios to make a little money because PBS, if those that don't know, PBS is Public Broadcast Service, it's either government-funded or it's funded through the contributions of viewers like you. That's right. That's right. It's, it's such an important part of broadcasting. And I'm very happy that you know, our Vincent University station has that type of offerings for this community and, and for a large area of our region. That's, that's where I got a lot of my experience was with WVUB and WVUT. I will say I had the privilege to learn things through WVB and WVT as well. One of them was uh, Master Control. I got to I got to run Master Control for newscasts. I also had the privilege of running a camera for newscast at times. Back right. when they had newscasts, it's kind of weird now because I've noticed they don't have like daily newscasts now. They have shows they produce that are uh-huh. weekly shows, which. I think it's just a different culture in the broadcast industry going in today compared to what it was back when, even when I was a VU student 13 years ago. Yeah, I, I know it's changed a lot, a lot since I was back there in uh, 1983 or 84, I believe it was. I guess. So it's, it's... I guess uh, when. You were a student going in. You had broadcast kits you received. We probably had different kits compared. Uh, I'm sure. I'm sure we did. Mine was the old uh, crank telephone. Well, not quite that old, but uh, we had a lot of uh, equipment. You, you guys had, had more advanced stuff than we did, and I, I'm so glad that it does advance that much each year. It improves. It improves the quality of the broadcast. It improves the uh, person listening or watching it improves their pleasure to listen and watch. So, you know, I, I really am pleased with all the advancements the broadcast media, broadcast area has made in the past few years. I'm looking forward to see. I can't imagine what the next 10, 15 years are going to be like. It's going to be amazing. Well, I think one of the biggest ones now is there are very few games that you use a phone line anymore, and I, I could say that because I have not used a phone line for a broadcast in oh at least 10 years that sounds wow. about right for I, me but yeah um 
I know you used to use phone lines for radio broadcasts at WVB for a while until how long ago? Oh, uh, you mean you mean when they stopped using it, or how long ago was I at VU? Uh, how long ago they stopped using phone lines? Oh my goodness, I really can't say for sure, Dusty. But uh, like I said, that's just part of the advancement of the broadcast industry. I know they're changing every day, improving every day, and it's making it so much easier and better for people to watch and listen to broadcast. Matter of fact, I know you're doing a broadcast uh, uh, pretty soon too, aren't you, over at uh, for ESPN? Yeah, I actually was at one last night. I was at Mizzou, had the Mizzou mm-hmm. game. Then coming up next weekend, I will be in Pittsburgh. My goodness, man, you travel around, don't you? Oh, <laughs> you know, what would it be? What, what, oh, I know. Uh, the last uh, broadcast I did, I think, was with you out at the girls' softball diamond. Was that last year? I believe it was last year. You and I did the uh, yeah, last one softball. we did together. I think, uh-huh. I mean, you've done some VU girls' basketball and stuff since, but oh, it's always fun when we get the chance to work together and... I would think, like, there's things that I use that I've learned from ESPN that I use in all my stuff. Like, there are things that, when I'm producing stuff, I actually have a similar way to do what's called Remy, or remote integration, which is where the broadcasters are off-site, and uh-huh. all of the switching and stuff is off-site. I have ways yeah. to do that with everything I have, which is, five years ago, you would have thought, what is Remy? Have you <laughs> ever right. heard of this? Right. That's true. It's actually something that's pretty standard on the network level right now. It is. And one of the most interesting things I learned years ago when I was at uh, WAOV, I had the morning talk show called Knox County Today, but then I'd also play DJ in the afternoon. We used to have records back then. We had uh, tapes, and then we advanced to the uh, computer. But anyway, I learned how to do back timing. Yes. And I'm sure uh, a lot of folks may not realize what back timing is. I'll try to explain it to you if, if you have if we have time. Oh, we got plenty of time. Okay. Well, when you when a record is playing and you, the time is coming up to the top of the hour, you have to hit the news right at the top of the hour. And, for example, uh, the song you're getting ready to play may be four minutes long, but you only have three minutes before the top of the hour to hit the newscast. Then you, you start that four-minute song an, a minute sooner, let it play for a minute, but it doesn't go on the air. You have it potted down. You have it muted. And then when the first song is over, you turn that four-minute song back up. You have three minutes left, and that takes you right in top of the news hour. So that, to me, was kind of Im- impressive. Well, and, like, one thing that was drilled into our heads. This is something that one of my professors, Jay Burks, always pushed was back timing because back timing was everything between getting something on air on time, coming into it late, or going into it too early. And you had to be right on. You couldn't be over. You couldn't be under. Had to be perfect. That's right. That's right. And, uh, you know, the... And I was very happy to be able to uh, 
learned that. And I've learned so many things throughout the years. It's so hard to remember uh, all of them. But I really, like I said, uh, I am so happy that I was able to get into the broadcasting industry and spend so many years in there. And I'm very grateful that I'm still uh, doing the uh, Vincent University women's basketball games. I, broadcasting, once you get it, I think, you know this, once you get it in your blood, you can't get it out. And you don't really want to. Yeah, you know, it's very hard. And there were times, I, I will tell you, there are times I've dealt with burnout. Like, sure. in other industries, there are things as burnout as well. But sure. basically, there's somewhere down the line, you get inspired by something and the burnout just automatically leaves. Which is weird to say, but it burnout is still a thing in broadcasting. Well, I think maybe part of that is, like we mentioned before, there's so many changes. It's, it's evolving every day. New things are coming up to make it easier. New things are coming up to make it better. A lot of new things are being invented. And I think that you know, creates, keeps excitement, creates more excitement, creates something new, Not maybe not every day, but like you mentioned, uh, frequently enough, where if you are experiencing burnout, something new like that comes up, it kind of refreshes you and makes you get, want to get back into the, the real depth of things. Well, we're coming up on a couple of minutes remaining. What is some advice that you would have for future broadcasters? Well, first of all, I would say um, go find a good broadcasting school, good broadcasting class, and start there. Then, even while you're in school, a lot of radio stations or TV stations will hire part-timers, you know, to, to do things on weekends, things like that. I would say start with a, a good broadcasting education, work as much as you can part-time in the field, learn as much as you can there. And with those two combinations, I think it'll get any person off to a good start in the field of broadcasting. Dan Ravelette joining us. Dan, it's been a pleasure and a privilege talking with you today. Always great talking to you too, Dusty. And keep up the good work. I'm proud of you very much. Very proud of you. Dan Ravelette, our guest this week of In the Business. Until next week, I'm Dustin Fuller saying thank you for joining us and have a good rest of your day. Mm-hmm.